funny sounds. Never starting. Hello. Hello. Oh, we're freezing a little bit. Hmm, that's great. Speaking of freezing, I'm eating a snowman. Snowman. Mm -hmm. Snowman butt. Hmm. <laughs> well. Good morning. Is that like snowman bacon? What? Hmm. Did you know some people don't like bacon? I don't associate with people like that. I'm pretty sure my daughter, Michaela, doesn't care for bacon. Girl. But bacon doesn't come from I the butt. I love her, but I'm having a hard time trusting her now. Bacon don't come from the butt. It comes from the belly. I can make bacon out of anything. Well. Ricky can. <laughs> this is a whole new podcast. <laughs> I can make bacon out of anything. <laughs> that reminded me of some movie lines that we're not going to get I was just going to, I think I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> anyway, a little Ben Stiller action. From a movie I've never seen, but I've seen the clips of that Robert a De Niro? thousand times. Robert De Niro? Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway. Hello, everyone. As a parent, never mind. <laughs> Hello. Wow. Why do we do this? Why do we? I think people why have do come we talk to about expect silly it. things. I hope that everyone can see this okay because it keeps kind of lagging on this computer. But just because we're silly people. Yes. Well, all right. Um, it's my favorite time of year. The I'm time when you bring me snowman cookies. Yes, the time that Thank you. I, I went to Starbucks today because they their holiday drinks came out last week. And I don't go to Starbucks, but so I had to have one. And I thought, well, I'm going to be seeing Rich in a little bit, so I'll bring him a snowman butt. It's quite tasty. Not, I, it's no I, bacon. I decapitated him early. so My son had a sandwich with bacon on it, and then he threw up. <laughs> <laughs> so That's not a dig at Starbucks. I had the same thing. but hmm. And I feel fine. But, you know. It's the end of the world as we know it. Fine. <laughs> Ooh, a little R.E.M. in there. So. That's, I hate that song, actually. But... but. I hate a lot of REM songs. So let's talk about... So there you have it. <laughs> Shiny, happy people. Why does that exist? Um, anyway. Losing my religion. Why does that exist? Anyway. How are you? I am just shiny and happy. Mm. And losing my religion. I hope not. <laughs> losing religion, uh, that lose, might be one thing. Losing that's old, a, that's a losing tie old in, right? religion from, uh, from medieval times and pressing on to a reformed thinking... As we rethink our worship and reform the church. Every time we talk about this, uh, well, I guess every time. Super glitchy in the video. I hope it, it doesn't is. show up. I hope it doesn't show up the way. Yeah, Sorry it's if it does. super gross. So. Um, I know it's only been last week and this week, but every time we bring up, you know, medieval times, just a very specific image imagery pops in my head. Of like, you know. Makes me want to go watch A Knight's Tale. I was just going to say A Knight's Tale. Which, I don't think anybody looks that really good. Which really should be a terrible movie, it's but not, it's pretty though. awesome. <laughs> You know what I think about, like when I watch movies like that, and like When Calls the Heart, and whatever, like period pieces, how bad people probably smelled. Yes. And I'm sure they don't like in the movies and on the TV because it's today. If but they, if they were method actors, they'd really people embrace people it. smell bad. Yes. And they weren't brushing their teeth like they should. And hmm. as a parent, you discover more and more how really bad people smell as they get older. So, yeah. I walked into the room with my grandkids the other day, and Courtney knows this, so she's not going to hear this podcast anyway, but uh, I walked in, and I'm like, something smells <laughs> funny in the room here. And it was children. It was just children. I smelled children. Children's feet. <laughs> it's very Hocus Pocus of you. Yes. Uh, Another movie I've never seen. You've never seen Hocus Pocus? doesn't appeal to me. Hmm, I understand. So That was before I was kind of... Over Bette Midler. That was super huge when you guys were kids, though. It was. It was it's, and today it's like a really it's, like it's big millennial thing. trigger. Yeah. Like it's a big, millennials love it. Yeah. Somebody reminded me of the movie Beaches the other day, which I cannot watch. Really? Oh, my goodness. I, oh. I love that movie. That was good. I love it if I have a I mean, pint I, of Ben & Jerry's in front of me. I haven't and... seen it in 25 years, probably, but it was pretty good. Did you ever know that you're my hero? <laughs> Anyway, um, what are we talking about? Oh, medieval times. People stink. <laughs> Which is a, a sound theological statement as well, that yes. the reality is people stink. Like and I think about Pride and Prejudice, you know, Mr. Darcy. Okay. Spoiler alert. Um, he's supposed to be like, you know, this swoon. And I've, I've watched the movie, my favorite Pride and Prejudice version, movie version. I know people are going to get mad about this because everyone likes the Colin Firth one. But I liked the one with Keira Knightley. he did a nice job. He did, but I liked the one with Keira Knightley the best. I don't best. know if I saw that one. Very good. 
Um, and I don't know the name of the actor that plays Mr. Darcy in that, but also very good. But I think like all these scenes where they're together. It wasn't together, Orlando Bloom. It was not Orlando Bloom. If it's not Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley together, it's, I don't know if I can watch it. Well, Keira Knightley is the same actress in every movie. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, is she a pirate in this? Yes. It's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Pri- Bennett, the Pri- pirate. Pride and Pe- Pirates, Pride. At, Pirates and Prejudice. Uh, <laughs> Pretty sure that's a novel. What anyway. is it, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Is that the, the novel? I think that, so, yeah. I think they actually made a movie of that, didn't they? And wasn't there Abraham Lincoln zombie something or other? Abraham zombie Lincoln killer? vampire slayer. Anyway. Everyone stinks. <laughs> or Vampire Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Buffy was the slayer. Buffy the Abe was slayer. the hunter, I think. They should have done a collab. No, talk, about, talk about millennial triggers. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was big when I was that age, too. It's funny how the TV show got so much bigger than the movie, mm-hmm. even though the movie was a pretty huge thing at the time. And uh, I've actually never seen the movie. That wasn't Sarah Michelle Gellar, though, I don't think. It was not. It was uh, Christy Swanson. Who now takes a lot of heat for her conservative views? And Aren't you glad you joined us today for this millennial chat? Yeah, we're we're uh, we're really focused and on target. But uh, you know, as we are looking at these Reformation concepts as we're dealing with stuff, next week we'll deal with a particularly unfocused topic in the Reformation in church polity and ecclesiology. But as we're, that sounds exciting. Did that, that bless your heart? I might no. be a little busy that, next week. Did that bless your heart? <laughs> I think no, I we'll, passed out. <laughs> but we'll be uh, we'll be taking a look at what it means to be the church next ah. week, and how that um, shifted and changed during the Reformation. And one of the things that happened there is, uh, as the Catholic critics uh, predicted, it was a form of anarchy. There was a, there was a lot of um, difficulty that came out of that, and. It settled down in the second generation of the Reformation, but uh, that kind of gives us a picture and a, of how the whole Protestant Reformation went. Um, and we're talking about you know 16th century Reformation as this is is happening. It was progressive, and mm-hmm. so even when we're talking about the the, the big well-known folks, the Luther, Zwingli, uh, Calvin, I say well-known, but probably a lot of the folks who are listening to our podcast have never heard of Ulrich Swingley, so it's probably... Ulrich Swingley? Yeah. Yeah. That was his name? Holdrich. Holdrich. I thought you said Old Rick Swingley. I'm like, oh, he lives on the corner. That was his name in high school. (laughs) He lives on the corner. There's Uh, Old Rick Swingley. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) less less German. As you look at, at, uh, at, you know, Luther in Germany and, you know... and even just the whole nature of the sociopolitical landscape, the nation states that we know today didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't Germany proper the way right. it is now. Uh, it was a region of kingdoms as, as you're dealing with things. And so all of, the, all of the dynamic, all the lens that we look at sociopolitical history through, and even, even it's, it's hard for us to really, from our perspective, look back over church history and really grasp what's happening and why it's happening uh, without getting into some some deeper things, which makes it really hard for me to stay on track, whether it's in a sermon or in a podcast, because it's like dominoes. Every time you talk about one thing, you got to talk about this other thing and this mm-hmm. other thing and this other thing. And so um, anyway, as we're looking at, at um, the, the principles that we'll talk about next week, it... it required time for that to get distilled uh, a little bit. And and then you started seeing um, Protestant Christianity kind of branch off into these different groups. And you got the Lutherans and then you've got the, the uh, Calvinist reform type folks that became later Presbyterians and, and some of that. The Anglicans who would eventually kind of veer back into something of the mainstream with the Reformed teaching um, Anglicans that's just a whole weird group all by themselves because it's sometimes really on track and sometimes completely off the rails and even today you have areas that are more biblical scriptural uh, conservative in their theology and areas or, or pockets that are uh, extremely progressive and as a whole the Anglican church has really become that in the last I don't know, I, I, 
no Anglican scholar, but uh, and when I say Anglican, I would include the Episcopal Church, the American or the Western version of that. Um, as as we see these things over the last century or probably more, the progressivism has really gotten into that, and yet some of the most sound things in the history of the of the modern church. Um, maybe even in the history of the church in general, have come out of the Anglican church. There's some really profound things. But it started bad when, you know, basically <laughs> Henry wanted to have his way. And so, hey, everybody else is reforming. Let's jump in on this. Let's, okay, uh, Hans Feeney, who does the Lutheran satire uh, YouTube channel, has a whole thing about the Reformation piggybackers, the, all oh. these copycats of Luther. You know, we're going to jump in and kind of mess up the Reformation. It's funny. It's at least it's largely accurate, obviously from a specifically Lutheran perspective. But <laughs> it's uh, anybody who's not subscribed to Lutheran satire in the in YouTube or isn't following Hans Feeney and Lutheran satire on Twitter, you should be. But anyhow. Uh, it's highly offensive if you're not Lutheran, which I'm not, but I'm okay with embracing being offended. Anyhow, there's some really good stuff. Imagine that. And, and well, and you've seen. I have. Yeah. I mean, I've shown you some of those yeah, things, yeah. like uh, Saint Saint Patrick's, Patrick's Heresy. That was a funny things. one. Uh, and so yeah, so it's uh, the, the their mantra. You know, our our motto here is our theme is to connect the reality of God with the reality of the realities of life. And uh, Pastor Feeney's <laughs> motto, his purpose for Lutheran satire is teaching the Bible by making fun of stuff. Mm. And so I can, I can get down with that. I'm kind of excited about it. Anyway, <laughs> all of that to say, as we look at how it developed over time, the same thing was happening in each of these individual um, strains, if you will, of, of Protestantism. Uh, Lutheran teaching shifted and, and morphed and evolved and, and reformed teaching in line with Swingley and Calvin uh, morphed and grew and evolved and then the Anabaptists and other uh, folks who were called radical reformers came in some of which were truly radical and others were only really radical because the the early magisterial reformers didn't go far enough you yeah. know so you know there are areas where we don't see it as radical today, but at the time, because mm -hmm. of the worldview, because of the framework they had, it was just overwhelmingly radical to think of believers' baptism. Wait, you're going to baptize adults? What about infants? You know, this uh, this is silly. Why? That's crazy. Why would you ever think about such My things? My father kind of told, said that same thing to me the other day. Yeah. He won't listen to this either. He's Catholic, and so they baptize babies, like, yeah. immediately. <clears throat> and he asked me, he goes, is... My son's name is George. He goes, is George going to get baptized anytime soon? <laughs> and I said, not until he can make that decision yeah. and, you know, right. be old enough to, to understand what that really is. And he goes, oh. Like, he was, like, really didn't yeah. understand that. And I'm like, we have, like, a child dedication ceremony, maybe. Right. Uh, <laughs> I said. Source spot. But. Uh, I've been working on the class. Right. I just don't but, have it down. I'm trying to come said, up with how to do this right. Right. Because I don't want to do it wrong again. I think I've done it wrong a lot of times, and I don't okay. want to do it wrong. So he's going to be fourteen. Uh, <laughs> so you better stick close. So then he'll be so. baptized. Um, so anyway, yeah. So he was kind of taken aback by that because that's just not what Catholics do. Sure. And I get both ways. I and it's get, not what medieval right. people did. And, right. and that's one of the things that really shaped it. And and that brings us back. It will eventually bring us back to where we're supposed to be today and rethinking our worship. <clears throat> but that concept of membership in the church um, was colored by the theology that they had. And so uh, because the, the theological and the sociopolitical were all morphed and blended and there was no real separation uh, of any meaningful uh, sort between church and state, mm. the, uh, there was a separation of sorts, but it was still always together. And so the the merging of church and society was probably bigger even than church and state. So you've got the the idea of infant baptism that was 100%. Okay, that's 
percentage is probably not the right, was very, very endemically tied to socio-political things. So, you know, you, because, uh, and this still happens today, actually, when, you know, in many countries where the state determines that, you know, these authorized religions receive funds from the state, so you baptize these children, they count in membership of that particular mm. church and that church, uh, not necessarily local congregation, but that denomination. Um, and so then the, the funding, the legitimacy, the identification of a group of people uh, was tied to how many people are, are doing this. So the state saw unbaptized children as anarchy um, or even worse, as sedition. So uh, particularly when you're dealing with uh, the division between, uh, between the, the growing Islamic threat, as they would see it, the, the Turkish Muslims coming up uh, and spreading into Europe, and they'd been pushed back, and, and that's what the, the Crusades were all about, is fighting to, to retake the Holy Lands. It's spun a lot of ways, but at, at its heart it was the... Um, the Islamic-identified Middle Easterners who took over the Holy Lands in what were more political than religious wars were being then fought back against under the guise of religion from people from the Christian North who were coming back to recapture the Holy Lands in uh, wars that were still under the guise of religion but were more political than they were uh, religious even then. But it was virtually impossible for any of these guys to see it any other way. It's the only thing that they had known. And the idea of an independent church apart from the state that was not recognized, that this, this particular um, jurisdiction was Christian, was Protestant, uh, or was Catholic, all of these things, the idea that it wouldn't be that way right. was just absolutely unthinkable. And so Zwingli, you know, even fought in battle against Catholics to keep these lands Protestant in in the, the various uh, cantons in, in Switzerland. So we're going to fight. <laughs> we're going to go to war against others who claim Christ. And, and you can dismiss them as unbelievers because the church was apostate all you want. You're still going to war in the name of Christ, you know, same turn the other cheek guy. Not to, That sounded disrespectful, and I don't mean it to. Um, <clears throat> against others who claim Christ, you both are carrying crosses on your flags, on your right. banners, uh, so that you can keep your particular type of, of Christianity there. And then you both want to keep the Muslims out, and so you go to war against them. And so infant baptism was a huge thing, even after breaking from the Catholic Church. And so that brings us kind of back to, to where we were supposed to be starting out in the first place now that we're more than halfway through the podcast. Um, as, as these reformers began to understand the idea of sola scriptura, that you know, there's, it had been there, it's not like it was new. None of the principles that came up in the, in the Great Reformation were new principles. Mm -hmm. But recapturing or rediscovering what the early church had as central theology. So now recognizing, wait a minute, we've gotten so far off track that you know we start veering away from Scripture and then we start elevating tradition to the same level as Scripture, even though the traditions that we're using are contrary to Scripture in many cases. So then we spin theology to make it all work together. So we've got this convoluted, highly developed theology, much of which is carried forward today, uh, not only among the Roman papists, which is still, uh, that's still a major thing, but also among Protestants who have gone back into the same folly in, in a lot of ways. So that's why I have an honor box. your phone so quite far. Yeah, yeah, nice thing with the expensive case. <clears throat> it's been stepped on by a horse, been run over <laughs> by a car. Launched a little bit. Anyhow, uh, as as they got back to the scriptures and started realizing, wait a minute, our worship is messed up. Mm. Because the entire worship service was focused on the priest and the mass. Mm. 
and the Mass largely because of the priest. So we talked on Sunday about the, the ideas of sacramentalism and sacerdotalism, uh, words that we maybe, sacramentalism, probably a lot of folks have, have heard and, and uh, maybe don't really think about. And in Protestant churches today, we still refer to the elements um, to the ordinances as sacraments a lot of the time, even though we're kind of being loose with the term. When we're talking about sacramentalism, uh, that concept teaches that certain sacred acts uh, that are known as sacraments. So the, the Catholic Church had seven sacraments. I think they still hold to all seven. Um, Protestant churches have come away from that. Um, but we see the ordinances of uh, specifically of the Lord's Supper, or we call it the Remembrance Celebration here, uh, and baptism. Uh, but others include like the Grace Brethren, and, and probably I think the whole Brethren branch um, sees uh, the Love Feast as also an ordinance of the Lord. So, you know, those, those things get called sacraments, and sacramentalism teaches that those acts uh, have inherent power to convey God's grace to the participant. So by receiving the Mass, I'm receiving God's grace. Therefore, if the Mass is withheld, then I'm not receiving God's grace. And it's tied often to, um, to this semi-Pelagian, this, it's not quite all the way to the heresy that was called Pelagianism, but kind of a halfway between what Pelagius taught and, and, and what the Scriptures teach, if I can say that. Um, because you lose your salvation, because it's a tenuous thing, it's not something that is locked in place because of what God did for you, uh, you have to continually con take the Mass, do the confession, uh, all of the, the various things that are part of those sacraments, uh, that's how you get God's grace, and it's necessary to receive salvation. So if I withhold the Mass from you, I'm actually withholding salvation from you. For if, like, what, a week? Or until you can take the Mass? Until, that's, that's why they, they really encouraged, and I think still do, encourage you to take the Mass every day to continually do this. Uh, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, I believe, receives Mass every day. He's pretty faithful in his Catholicism, so he, he goes to the church and prays this confession and I believe receives Mass every day. Say hi um, to your mother for me. After nice. he uh, works out at 3 a.m. for three hours. A, but, um, yeah, he's, he's on, the, on the line there almost between Generation X and Millennials. He is. Good vibrations. So anyway, Xer, but um, that reminds me a lot of kind of Old Testament sacrifices. Very of. much, except for, it, it's really more like the Pharisees or the, the rabbinical distortions of that. Because if you read through Leviticus, and, and we preached this a couple of years ago, uh, and you see what God's actually requiring of them, it's not the act that brings the forgiveness. It, right. The act is an obedience right. that is an expression of your faith. And it paints a picture of the ugliness of sin and the price that is required. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so as, as we see this, the old sacrificial system under the old covenant, God didn't change. Right. So, and that's why he says in Amos 5 or through Isaiah uh, and, and in various ways throughout the Old Testament prophets, but those two specifically come to mind, um, is this, stop I, you know I hate your worship right it stinks this you're, you're doing the things but the things aren't the point you've forgotten me this is a matter of faith and you're putting your faith in your religion rather than putting your faith in the one who gave you these ceremonies well with that though it always struck me that you know a cookie staring me in the face we right. finished it because I'm gonna talk for a second all right go um and now I'm going to ask you a really important question. Uh, no, in the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm thinking actually specifically of Leviticus because there was a lot of blood. Mm. Um, when, you, when they sacrificed an animal to uh, atone for their sins, okay, but then like five seconds later, you're sinning again. You, right. It would be a constant bloodbath, for lack of a better term. Right. And, and that kind of... I, and I'm not trying to dig on anybody's religion today because I know a lot of this still goes on today with you know confessions. Well, and, and it was like ordained that. by God. I right. mean, that was what He required. Right, but you'd literally have to be doing it all the time, and right. you would literally have to be taking communion every second mm -hmm. because you we are all failures and horrible people. 
And so that just, it's like, I feel like when people still do these things today, it's like you're ignoring the new covenant almost. And I'm not trying to, again, dig on anybody, but that's what it seems like to me. It it confuses me a little bit. And so the, what you bring up is exactly kind of the point that's illustrated by by that. (laughs) In that God, it had to have been God doing it by faith. Right. Or you literally could not stop. Right. You know, every, every moment. By, by the time I get home, I've already dealt with sin. Right. And and I think if we're honest, we can all recognize in the mirror that we do this all the time. In our best moments, we are still corrupted. There are, are things that still get wayward. I mean, I can be in the middle of prayer and have my thoughts, you know, go to places they shouldn't go. But more importantly... And then you hate yourself for it. More importantly, it's just a cycle. for us to see it any other way, we have to take a very low view of sin. And so the Old Testament sacrifices did a great job of portraying how horrible and ugly sin is and and what a brutal cost there is to it. And it pointed forward, of course, to Christ who fulfilled all of those things for us. And this is why in Hebrews in particular, we see this this picture is seriously the blood of bulls and goats. I, I can't take this stuff away. you got to keep sacrificing over and over. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, when he sacrificed for us, he finished it. It was done. He sat down at the right hand of God. This symbolizes the completed sacrifice. And so one of the things that the reformers began to see was, wait, this whole concept of transubstantiation, where the priest performs a miracle every single time you have the Mass, and and transforms this by the power of God into the literal body and blood of Christ. Luther came away from that and said, it's not the literal body and blood of Christ, because they all recognize together. That means that we're re-sacrificing Christ over and over. But the Bible teaches that he was sacrificed once for all, and it was done. And there's there's a continuous emphasis on the past tense of the work of Christ on the cross for us. Mm. Now, Luther didn't go far enough. He he focused on, and, and my Lutheran friends will probably be offended by me saying this, yes, I believe he did not go far enough with this. He held to the real presence of Christ, that it's still Christ present in it, but it's not, the priest isn't doing a miracle to turn it into his body and blood. Zwingli went, farther and and those in that uh, reform camp said well but it it can't really even be that because jesus is giving it to us as a remembrance it's not you know here doing it so he's not here in this any more than he is anytime we're gathered because he says when two or three are gathered in my name we're you know i'm here in the midst of them so in that sense spiritually he's with us but he's not with us, with us in right. these elements. His body is not here. And, uh, that would and be so gross. They were <laughs> at, at the the Marburg colloquy when they were together to try and sort these things out so they could bring unity to the Protestant Church, as it as it were. Um, there were fifteen articles that they were trying to agree on, and they all agreed on fourteen of them. <laughs> there was one this the sacraments, the the mass. Uh, that they did not agree on. And so the whole thing fell apart. Because <laughs> Luther was sometimes a little bit of a hothead. But uh, anyway, the, as as all of this comes together, what what this did in the Reformation was to cause us to question what was being taught. And mm-hmm. I mentioned sacerdotalism. I should probably define that because most of us don't use that term very often. Uh, it's not one that I use regularly. Um, but it sees priests as essential mediators between God and humankind, and, and, and it sort of uh, ascribes to them uh, certain powers, um, puts them in a special class, uh, and so you can't come to God without a priest. It's bothersome right? to me. And, uh, well, because you grew up in a Reformed Protestant thing, so even when you went to your Catholic school in, in college, your framework was already geared a different way. And, and we're, we're all of us in our day and age, Catholic or Protestant or pagan, uh, we're all growing up in the shadow, in, in Western civilization, in the shadow of the Reformation, because all of Western civilization was shaped by that. Other parts of the world are a little different, but, but 
the, the Reformation of the 16th century laid the groundwork for everything that we know today, including Enlightenment thinking, uh, the Romanticism that came later, uh, the, even the, the postmodern thought that we have now, none of those things happen without the groundwork laid by the Reformation. So the good and the bad comes out of that. Uh, what we understand to be desirable democracy grew out of that. Prior to that, that just was an unthinkable thought. It was not something that was even close. What we thought of as, as democratic, that would not have been considered a positive thing throughout mm-hmm. most of uh, Christian history. And to an extent, we had some of that. And that's one of the things that made the Anabaptists, you know, the considered radical crazy people, which this is next week's topic, but they believed shockingly in congregational authority that the congregation should pay the pastor that nobody outside of the congregation should be telling them what needs to happen there absolutely crazy kind of thoughts and the the continental reformers um, that were that were less radical um, the lutherans and the um, calvinist reform the all of those folks just thought these Anabaptists are nuts. So Swigley, who had gone so far in veering away from uh, Luther's view of of communion, still, I mean, they still practiced infant baptism because you you needed to declare your allegiance for your family. So before your child had faith, you declared their mm-hmm. allegiance to the church. And trusted in God's sovereignty then to bring them around. The Anabaptists were like, well, wait a minute. These kids don't have any choice in this. Right. And, you know, that that's just, you're going so far. Well, Stringley was not going to tolerate that kind of stuff, so he actually supported their execution. But that's another uh, topic for next time. Anyway, as we're looking at, at the idea in this, one of the things that came out through the Reformation was developed more clearly as time went on is the reality that the ceremonies of Christian worship celebrate God's grace, not obtain it. Mm-hmm. And we looked at that through the lens of Colossians uh, chapter 2 and the idea that that all of the work that was required for our salvation and all of the work uh, that placed us in right standing with God, all of those things, that's all something that was already done for us, not something that's done by us. And so in, in Colossians 2, Paul tells that church, and they're dealing with a, a blend of mysticism and legalism, uh, this uh, kind of a Jewish, um, you know, let's go back to circumcision and do all these things to make sure that we're pleasing God. We've got to have our checklist right. mixed with some some mythology, superstitious, superstitious kind of stuff, and the special knowledge idea that would eventually become Gnosticism, that um, we need it needs to be personal. I need to have this feeling. I have to have this rush. I have to have these experiences. And uh, it, it kind of drew from some of the ancient mystery religions and so on. And and he says to them that that in the same way that you receive Christ, so continue to live in him. And so that was one of the things that we saw right out of the gate, that we live in Christ the same way we receive Christ, by faith alone. So the idea of getting our focus on religious rituals uh, for the Colossians, for the medieval church, for us today, is a trap. And, and It's a trap. <laughs> every time I say it, it comes into my head. <laughs> so as we're looking at that from our evangelical Protestant perspective, we need to recognize that it's not just it's not just the Roman Church that practices this sacerdotalism that puts the the priests in a special class and, and ascribes them with special powers. We may not officially do that, but what about celebrity pastors? What about the, this idea that some people just have better gifting and and, and you I'm know, gonna get triggered we, here. We should be you know we should chase after these these folks and. I, I need to go to that person's revival meeting because that person has the power to do miracles and, and so on and so forth. And we put our hope in this special class of people 
And, and even here in our small church, there are folks that somehow have allowed themselves to believe, and this is absolutely the work of the devil, that as the pastor, my prayers somehow count for more than theirs. That, that if they have the pastor praying, like that matters Closer more. to the big guy. Right. You know. And, you know, and, and they'll say things like, well, I could never have the faith that you have. Like, you have no clue. You know, I, I struggle with my faith all the time, like all the rest of us do, because we're walking through this life. It's I don't wrestle at this point in my life, in my journey, I don't wrestle with whether God is true, but I wrestle with how to walk that out. Mm. God is ultimate truth. His word is true. It is inerrant and infallible and efficacious, and it does all of what God intends for it to do. I have no questions about God as far as that goes. Uh, not that I understand everything, because he's God, and I got this little brain, you know, that's obviously big enough to push my hair out of my scalp. But the, Is that how it works? It must be. I was, I'm going to claim it. <laughs> so, sarcasm. The, I don't like that visual. <laughs> there's no part of my visual here that is likable. Anyhow, as we're, Finish your <laughs> as we're dealing with this, we need to recognize that we fall into the same traps now mm. that they fell into then. It may look different. Uh, it, we may put a different theological spin on it, but the devil still uses the same tools to get us focused on things, on checklist religion, on special people doing special things to bring special favors from God. Um, and it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. And I mentioned on Sunday... And just so I can offend more people today, um, you know, it, it does remind me of the original introduction to Sarah Young's popular devotional, Jesus Calling, which I think... You talked about this before. I think should not be included in a Christian library. But her original introduction, which I believe has been changed now, she said, I, I knew that God communicated to me through his word, mm. but I yearned for something more. In other words, God's word isn't enough. I need you to talk to me. I have a, a relative who used to say, you know, I just want God to love me. And, you know, say, well, he does. Yeah, yeah, but he loves everybody. I want to be special. I'm like, wow, that is just a horribly <laughs> shallow, selfish, blasphemous, you know, thought. Um, that, that's, it's a dangerous thing. Here's the thing. And we want these special experiences all the time. We do. And I think people with that mindset, we're growing. Selfishness is nothing, but I feel like we're growing more selfish all the time. Yeah. And It's like God said in the scriptures that that would happen. Well, and it's interesting and frightening at the same time because I feel like the devil isn't even trying to hide anymore his, his schemes anymore. Everything's just very blatant. Like, I hate to bring it up because everyone's talking about it. And I, that Astrofest, have you heard about that? I don't think I have. Actually. Oh, my goodness, you haven't? I must be running in, in different crowds. It's all over the news. Travis Scott, who I've never listened to any of his music, but he's a rapper, apparently. And he had some music festival last weekend. And I believe... Travis Scott, isn't... That's not the dude from... Blink-182? Yeah. No, it's Travis Barker. Yeah, that's um, right. Travis Scott's a rapper, but he had some music festival last weekend. And okay, yeah, I did see a thing about it. I, didn't eight, I think it, I think the last count I heard was eight people died. Many were injured. Uh, I've seen vi- I'm on TikTok. If you're on TikTok at all, you've seen videos from it. And I'm surprised I will you say, haven't sent me any. I will say that the things I've seen, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, like a big conspiracy theorist, and I don't say things are evil, and but the things I've seen are 100 yeah. percent demonic, and. I mean, there was this big entrance with his mouth wide open, like it was, and there was fire. I mean, it was just, you could feel like a sense of evil there. He didn't stop the show when people were screaming for help and saying people were getting hurt and dying. It was just, and so these things, and that's just one instance where I feel like in this world we're living in today where like, the devil isn't even trying to hide his schemes anymore because people are just okay with everything. It's interesting that that doesn't happen all the time because the devil longs to be worshipped. Right. And he doesn't like being behind the scenes right. very much. But mostly he hates God and he hates us. And <clears throat> he's not going to come out in the open like that when coming out in the open like that turns people off. Mm. But he has been laying this groundwork for a long time. Right. And when I say he, I mean the, the, the actual Satan and his forces. So 
you know, he representing a large group. But <clears throat> if that didn't play well in our mm-hmm. society, Travis Scott wouldn't be doing it. Right. You're not making money on right. it. Right. <clears throat> the devil wouldn't be doing it right. because it's not effective. What has been effective for a long time now is undermining the authority of the gospel, of, of the scriptures, and doing right. so through the church, through what they call progressive Christianity. Right. So I think we're getting to a point because of that, where right. we're in this everything goes, anything goes yeah. mentality, society. And well, so things like this Very much like become... the 60s and early 70s, right. where you, know, you had uh, Satanism coming out, occultism coming out as a valid alternative and religion. And it stems from what the church is doing. Yeah. And that's... And there's a lot of darkness that, that that is in that, and and you know that was the same kind of thing that was happening. In a, actually, if you look at a lot of '90s movies, period I'll pieces, be my 90s period pieces about um, medieval times, the Robin Hood, Robin Hood legend, the the one with Kevin Costner in particular, and you see within the church, not or the, even not not men in tights, or <laughs> even the very the very watchable. Uh, Disney Three Musketeers movie, not the animated with Mickey Mouse, but the one with uh, Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland and Chris I've actually Donna. never seen that. Oh my gosh, how how could you call yourself a '90s kid and never see that? That is because I was like, watching She's All That. And that's Clueless. like that is like, like peak '90s, uh, you know, Knight's Tale level watchable over and over again. Anyhow, I'll have to watch it. I'm sure it's on Disney Plus. It, uh, I hope so. <laughs> If not, it should be. Anyway, if you see any of those types of uh, of uh, movies, they show very often openly and a lot of times more subtly a picture of occultism in the church. So there's this mm-hmm. blending, this syncretism of occultism and the authoritative Christian church. And some of that is probably valid and some of it is made up because we want to see that but whether or not the occultism took place there there were many periods and many people and many practices that were there because the devil had gotten a hold of what was going on and that's what that's what the reformers had to push back against in a in a world that had become all of those things that where you can use here. demonic things to promote so-called Christian but causes. But we're still here. Like these, this, this stuff is still happening. We're or we're here again, right? Well, that's I, what I'm saying. I mean, that's the well, thing. Do you is think it, it never, went away and then came it, back, or? Well, it depends on what you mean by one away. The devil's still doing the same things he was doing in the garden, but right. sometimes he does them out in front, and sometimes he does them in, in the background. They, you know, I was just listening to, uh, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, Communio, Communio Sanctorum. It's the history of the Christian Church. It's another podcast that's absolutely worth listening to. It's done by a Calvary Chapel pastor. And, and uh, anyhow, anyhow, right now in the current season, um, he's looking at the impact of Christianity on the church, uh, on society, mm. and what happened in Greco-Roman society as the church spread. And so, one of the things that that he mentioned is that the Romans, when they began, at the beginning of the empire, B.C., um, they thought the Greeks were just horribly immoral because the Greeks you know, exercised in the nude and the Romans were totally against public nudity. They had this rampant... The uh, Romans and I have that in common. Yeah, this uh, rampant homosexuality and sexual immorality and um, disdain for marriage and all that. And the Romans thought that was just horrifically uh, immoral and wrong. That was pre-Christian, mm. but that they're like, what? That, that, these Greeks are terrible. As they developed and grew and gained power and affluence, they became more and more like the Greeks until That's eventually so they were living in a society that was more openly immoral than the Greeks had ever hoped for. And so uh, there was this continued uh, debauchery until... Um, oh, one of my favorite words. ...normal... Uh, I think it was Juvenal that was writing it, uh, that normal sexual activity was unheard of. That, you know, marriage, marital sex, faithfulness, fidelity was unheard of. Uh, Standard sexual practices were unheard of. It was looking for more and more depraved manners of debauchery. And the Christians 
came in and said, in the middle of a world that, that was far beyond where we are now, and they said, no, that's not what God intended. One man, one woman, for life. And they demonstrated by loving one another mm. in this, by proving fidelity, and it, it had a huge impact. So even those who hated it uh, eventually, like, respect. You guys are doing something here. Because they couldn't deny that they had a more joyful life than the right. pagans around them. So anyway, um, that those types of things are, it's, there's the pendulum that we talk about all the time. Uh, it's also kind of a, a roller coaster where, where there's a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns. And um, that's how society operates. It, it's, not, it, it's not just cyclical. In fact, it's specifically not cyclical. It's linear. But within the linear um, reality of history, there is a cyclical nature. So if you can right. picture a wheel rolling down a road, it's going in a direction. But you're still doing the same things over and over again. Because there are there are factors at play that keep on bringing you back to that. We're the hamster. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of people would see it that way, but but there is a beginning and an end. Yeah. So so it's like the hamster on the wheel that's not attached any longer. Right. In one of those little balls. So, in, in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> like Bolt. If you haven't seen Bolt, you should see that. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, <clears throat> John Travolta as a dog. So say no more. <laughs> and as and Miley Cyrus. as indeed <laughs> as we are are progressing through history, we need to recognize that the the truth that that um, that those who fail to learn history or fail to remember history are are destined to repeat it. We see that over and over mm. again. We are making very often the same mistakes now that the church made then. Quit it. And we need to be able to be constantly reforming, not because the Bible is a living document that we're trying to change, but we need to constantly be holding ourselves to that standard. And when we Because hold, we're going so far away from it all the time. Right. So we got to and step we're, back. And we're constantly, we need to keep the, the boat anchored here so that we're constantly staying to the word. Or, or, Drifting out to sea. Right. Or, or, you know, with the rudder of the word, if you will, that... that when we're moving, when we're going, the the winds aren't just blowing us wherever we we want to go, but we're following uh, the the map, so to speak. Mm. And when we do that, then that that impacts our worship. It impacts how we go about it. I didn't have time, and I don't obviously don't have time today because we're well over. But uh, to look at the the entire worship service changed during the Reformation. Mm. The the furniture in the church changed because the function, the form, and the function uh, went together. And so when you change the foundation and the theology, then the form and the function will follow. And as they go through this. Um, they they elevated the pulpit. They they made the pulpit the center of it, not because the preacher was anything, but because the word being preached was everything. And so you took the uh, you elevated the pulpit. The preaching was the center, but the focus was no longer on the leader the way it was when it was the the priest right. with special powers and a special class. Um, the focus was on the word. Mm -hmm. They added congregational singing, which was not a part of the the medieval church. And as you're um, doing that the 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 connected over and over again connecting the practice to the scriptures and saying okay here's what they did in scripture here's what's commanded in scripture and some uh in more uh conservatively reformed circles uh were very strict with what they call the regulative principle that if the bible doesn't say it if we don't see it clearly taught we can't do it at all. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't have like announcements in church or skits and things like that. And then others, Luther was more along this line, um, w embraced what was known as a normative principle, which is also partly how we get so far afield now where we get, you know, Stephen Furtick with a super soaker in his sermons or uh, I can't remember the guy's name sitting in a sitting in a boat with, you know, video waves and, and smoke machines. We got all this stuff that we're turning... Uh, church into this entertainment industry and uh, and that comes out of the normative principle that if the scripture doesn't forbid it then it's okay right. uh, and probably somewhere in the middle of what I would call maybe a, a, a regulating norm uh, kind of an idea um, we need to 
we need to be staying to what the word says. We need to be focusing how we do worship on how the church did worship, how the Lord commands worship, and ultimately, what's the purpose of worship? And the focus needs to be on him, the glory to God, the binding together of his people within that glory so that we are growing together. And we'll talk more about how some of that works next week when we talk about the church membership and and church discipline and, and so on. But we need to understand that at the heart of all of this is we have to avoid the lie that the ceremonies are the thing. Mm-hmm. The ceremonies of Christian worship celebrate God's grace. They don't obtain it. The, the work uh, that, that Christ did on the cross was sufficient. It's not something we have to keep going back over and over again. Everything we see in the New Testament written is written to the church, written to people who have been saved, who are being saved, and who will be saved. But the work has been done already. It's already been entirely accomplished by Christ. We receive it through our faith. So he does this through our faith, not through rituals, although the rituals are beneficial. They're not causative. They don't bring, they don't win God's favor for us, but they are sacred in that we do this in remembrance of him. We, in our baptism, we or, or in our, in our, uh, uh, communion. We we proclaim his death until he comes. We declare publicly through our baptism that we have died and been raised with Christ. We've been brought from death to life. These things are beneficial, but they're not uh, they're not the incantation, so to speak, that win God's favor for us. The work of God's grace is done by Christ. Right. It's not done by us. It's not through the the ceremonies that we obtain it. And we need to place our trust, our focus on the reality of Christ, who he is, the person and work of Jesus Christ, not in rules, not in ceremonies, not in sacramentalism or sacerdotalism. We need to uh, to recognize that these things, these rituals and uh, regulations and external things may seem spiritual, they may seem wise, but they're really worthless and when we do that, we make what was a beneficial thing an idol. And then God is opposed to that. Okay. We will stop there for today because we're way over. Yeah, only a four-hour <laughs> But if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. You can leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, you can leave a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC or using the Anchor app if that's how you listen to us. And... I think that's all I have. What are you smiling? Ask me if I got more to say. I don't want to because we're way over. I know you always got more to say. I was just just waiting for you to say it. I should have brought another cookie. All right. We will catch you guys next week. I do do well with cookies. See you later.